Hey, this is Sebastian for the Metal Gods Meltdown, and I'm joined by... Greg Goldie. Congratulations on an amazing album in Until Death Do We Meet Again. How pleased are you with the finished product? Well, thank you, Seth. Well, you know, we're all, we are all our own worst critics. You know, there's, there's always areas I think could have been better. But all, all in all, I think it, um, it definitely think I s managed to accomplish what I set out to do, and that was to try to bring back, you know, the good old days and somehow make it sound new and bring back an old, long-lost, forgotten era, never thought to return, uh, and bring that, bring that back and make it kind of new. And a lot of people seem to really, you know, a lot of the people that's been interviewing me, they got a chance to hear the entire record and not just a couple of songs and they've been, I've got a really good, so far, it seems like a really good reception of the album as well. So uh, there's a couple of songs on here I can't wait for people to hear, like, you know, the title track, Until Death Do We Meet Again, and Washed Upon the Shore, and uh, a couple other songs that I think, uh, oh, and Death, uh, One Step Beyond the Grave, Game of Shadows. I think that's really going to take people by surprise, especially the way... Uh, Diego sings. He's just an absolute monster on this record. He is absolutely amazing. I mean, you can just close your eyes, and at times it really could be Ronnie James Dio singing on some of the songs. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, I mean, we never had to ask him to sound like Ronnie. Um, in fact, uh, Rudy Sarzo and Simon Wright were going to be my watchdogs because they were the they would have been the first ones to say, "Hey, hey, hey." You gotta back this guy off, man. It's too much like it's too much like Ronnie. And but see, Ronnie was and is my favorite singer. And even before I met Ronnie, I was in a constant search for a guy who could sound like Ronnie, which was really basically like asking for the impossible. You know, it's not you know Diego's fault that he's been blessed with similar attributes. You know, Ronnie was the first and last of his kind. There was nobody, nobody sing like Ronnie. Nobody. But Diego was blessed with similar attributes. He has the power, he has the inflections, so when the lyrics call for anger, he can act with his voice where he sounds angry. Uh, when the lyrics call for sadness, that he sounds sad. Uh, he, he can go from clean to, to gruff and all the different shades in between. And I hadn't had anybody else that had that many attributes you know, except for Ronnie, you know, so, and then Ronnie was one of his major influences, obviously, just like Richie Blackmore is one of my main influences, was, he was the reason why I started playing guitar in the first place, so a lot of my guitar playing is going to be a little Blackmore-esque, just because of that, you know, even though Richie is one of a kind, and he was the one who, not only is he the master, but he's the one who started all that, Nobody plays like Richie Blackmore. Nobody came like nobody before him, and nobody after him. So it's my way of kind of like keeping that style alive, you know, because nobody plays like Blackmore. Nobody sings like Ronnie. Nobody writes like that, you know. But that, that's my favorite type of music. And so because I had worked with Ronnie side by side, he told me himself, "Goldie, I want to pass the torch on to you, kid," uh, right in front of his best friend. Uh, so if I have to, you know, I can, I can, you know, get a hold of him to, to verify that. But, mm -hmm. you know, I just am now understanding what that truly means, you know, that if you really think about it, you know, he, he worked so hard to create such an amazing catalog and a world of his own. And, a, and, a, and a, he had a mind without boundaries, an imagination without boundaries. And I would have thought that, you know, he would want his legacy to be carried on by the people he loved the most. And so this is not a tribute band. This is just an influenced by. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, the album's phenomenal. Um, every track is amazing. I particularly like You Can't Take Me Down as being my favourite track at the moment. So oh. you've sort of answered it, but which is your favourite track on the album and which song would you play me to introduce me to Dream Child? That's a good question, because You Can't Take Me Down was one of my favorite choruses, and the way it builds, at first it's just simple chords, and then at the end it, 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 it 
gets real complex because then the chorus is is uh, sung over the the uh, the riff. Um, I did that on purpose because that song was that song was kind of built on one of my worst days. It felt like several demons had been assigned to me that day, and they and my computer didn't work, my TV didn't work. Um, Speakers didn't work, phone didn't work, car didn't work right, my mom and dad's health was going bad, uh, the air conditioner wasn't working, you know, I couldn't, you know, I could barely, you know, just to put on a pair of socks took like an hour, you know, it's like, you know, I'm sitting there having an argument with a pair of socks, you know, <laughs> and, you know, so here I am in my apartment all by myself, probably looking like a total crazy person screaming out, you can't take me down, you know, because I was so angry. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I went, whoa, what a great premise for a song. So I sat down and all of a sudden that chorus came to me. So the first thing I wanted to do was put that riff to it, but it was too busy. Uh, and that was how the chorus started, was with the, the melody line and the riff together. It was just too much information at first. So I had to build. So that's why just the open chords to give that melody line breath for people to just kind of hear the melody of what's being sung. And then towards the end is the combination between the riff and the chorus. So that's kind of like my favorite chorus. Uh, if I were to say to try to introduce Dream Evil to somebody, even though I know you, if I was to say to somebody that I don't know, I would say probably like maybe Game of Shadows or Until Death Do We Meet Again. Of course, Dio named you Dream Child back in the 80s, and all, now all these years later, how does it feel to have a band called Dream Child? Yeah, it is kind of weird, because at first, that was another thing Serafino wanted to know, is what, you know, do you have any names, uh, band names? And all sorts of names were being thrown around, and that just kept popping into my head for some reason. It just, as the... the um, as the project started to take shape, that just seemed to be the right one because it was a dream come true for me to be in Dio. That's how my nickname got started because me and Ronnie were often in the same room doing interviews on the phone, even though he was on one phone and I was on another. You know, he would constantly hear me say, yes, yeah, this is a dream come true. This is a dream come true. And, you know, and he would often see how many of my wishes would come true. And he just goes, Goldie, man, it goes... You're the dream child. He goes, oh, man, what a great name. Dream child. Hey, dream child. You know, and then um, during the Dream Evil um, recordings of Night People, at the end of the song, uh, he didn't want to do the typical um, thing where the singer sang first in the isolation booth, and then the guitar player got set up, and then he sang the answer backs. He wanted to do it together. That was the first time he'd done that. So we set up a microphone in the in the drum room, and I was standing right next to him with a long cable going into my guitar that was isolated in another room. And he looks at me and he goes, "Hey, dream child, you know." And so he liked that so much that he went back and changed the verse. Um, you could probably hear a little bit of the difference if you if you really listen hard. There's a you know because it was recorded on a different day. But that wasn't a lyric. It was just an ad-lib. And he liked it so much, he turned it into a lyric for the song afterwards. The album is what I call a proper heavy metal album. Um, without being rude, we're all getting a bit older. <laughs> how, does it, how, does it, how, how does it feel to sort of know that so many reviewers are sort of already saying this is their album of the year. Well, it does feel great. I mean, to actually hear those terms, album of the year, and, you know, and people are saying, like, you know, that they're just, you know, they're blown away, and, and it, it, it feels great, because I really did learn a lot from Ronnie, and he really did pour a lot of information. I was like a sponge, and I just soaked up as much as I could possibly soak up and he poured a lot of information into this little sponge that I could possibly absorb. And not only did he say he wanted to pass the torch on to me, but he also showed me his way of, he, you know, his method of songwriting and, and lyrics and melody lines. And, 
and his work ethic was just stupendous. Nobody had a work ethic like him. I've worked with a lot of people, and he was the only one that had uh, a, a, that kind of work ethic. And the cool thing about it was that him and I had similar work ethics. That's why we became such good friends when I was in Rough Cup. Mm -hmm. There was one late night session because you know we were. I was never the type to just give up until it was done. Well, it's late. Start this tomorrow. That that sentence never came out of my mouth. Even when I was a kid, I could draw like a photograph. I would draw drawings at night, and I was going to give them to one of my friends at school the next day. And my parents would see me fall, you know, they'd walk in and I'd be asleep at the dinner table, you know, asleep because I fell asleep drawing because it wasn't done yet. And in many ways, you know, Ronnie was, you know, was, he never said, okay, it's getting late, let's start, let's start again tomorrow. He would just go and go and go and go and go. And we had a blast together in the studio, me, him, and Angelo. And one night, it was just the three of us. And he looked over at me and he goes, Goldie, if Vivian ever doesn't work out, you'd be my first choice. And that's why there were no auditions for, you know, Vivian was out and I was in. And all of this kind of goes into the stuff that I absorbed. You know, watching Angelo and Ronnie use unorthodox methods to get the sounds they were looking for. Ronnie's network, you know, reached far and wide. I got to sit in on sessions with producers and engineers who worked with John Lennon, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Jimi Hendrix, even though some of them are no longer with us, those engineers and producers are still alive. I got a chance to see their methods. Uh, a song really is a, either a story or a conversation that you're having with the listener within a musical environment. So Ronnie's number one thing was melody first, lyric second. But the melody dictates how many syllables you have to tell your story, and you have to rhyme. And you have to make it impressive enough to pierce somebody's soul to make them want to, to, to un, be able to, un, uh, unable to contain themselves to the point where they refuse to live without that music. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's all. <laughs> but I, I learned so much from him, and at the very first public memorial, I said, that I would try to use everything I had learned from him in such a way in hopes to make him proud. And so this is the beginning of that. Of Also during the Dream Evil tour, MTV filmed our concert for the Headbangers Ball series. And During the interview, Ronnie says, I look forward to Craig being the leader of his own band someday. And so all, putting all that together, you know, is... You know, the very beginning of Dream Child. You know, I have to be on my own path someday. You know, and I hope that, um, and I, Serafino from Frontiers called me at home and said, you know, I love this record. You know, this is your band. We're going to try to make this as successful as possible. And I mean, it just, everybody just, it just couldn't, it, it blows my mind because it's, it, there's times when it's just me by myself listening on the studio, like listening to the title track Until Death Do We Meet Again, going, man, I can't believe, you know, the world is going to hear this pretty soon. Someday the world is going to hear this song. Because I've wanted that, wanted that type of music to be out there for so long. So it's kind of, one part of me says, well, it's about time. And another part of me says, oh, thank God, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do totally, man. What do you think Dio would think then of your album? Well, I think he would approve because it was, I have, Ronnie still had a lot of purity left inside of him and he still had a lot of innocence left inside of him, even though he seemed like such a, you know, a hardened man. Uh, but, you know, behind closed doors, you know, he would often show his heart. You know, he, he was a pure hearted man. He still had innocence, meaning he was a man of integrity. You know, he he was the same man behind closed doors that he claimed to be in public, and that that's a powerful thing. And um, and I too have a lot of 
still a lot of purity and innocence inside. And I'm trying, not, I'm trying not to sound schmaltzy, but you know, when a pure heart makes a wish and leaves no stone unturned, and is willing to do the amount of work that is necessary to bring about the goal that you set out to achieve, you know, wishes and dreams do come true. And I think Ronnie would have liked this for me because he did say, "I want to pass the torch on to you." And I think this is pretty close, you know, to, at least I hope anyways, that uh, something that I think he would look look down and say, you know, good one, kid. I believe in life after death. I really yes. have a yes. strong feeling of that. And I need to sort of know, do you sometimes feel that Ronnie James Dio is with you in spirit? Definitely. Definitely. I believe in God. Uh, I always have been, even when I was a little boy, uh, after a beating, I would, I remember one Christmas, I was sitting there bleeding into a, um, a little stuffed Santa Claus that I had that also smelled like blood. The smell of blood actually comforted me. That's how bad it was. And I closed my eyes and I saw these three circles and I opened my eyes and said, what is that? And they were gone. Closed my eyes and I saw the three circles and I opened my eyes and they were gone. And then I'll never forget, my grandmother told me a story when she first started reading me the Bible. She said, I blurted out, oh, so that's who he is. Because I would always have these conversations with, I knew somebody was running things, you know, and I knew there was a reason for everything. And a lot of times the hurt, the pain, and even death, you know, because death really is, I hate to say it, you know, but we all are going to die. It's just a part of life, uh, but sometimes the when seems so cruel and, and, and unfair, and, but there always is a plan. You know, there's, when I look back and connect the dots of all the horrible things that happened to me, you know, I'm happy that they did. I can actually look back and go, you know, it's a good thing that bad thing happened because it made me who I am today. And this music calls to the downtrodden and the black sheep of the globe and the people who, who secretly hurt inside and feel like they, they, they don't belong. So they often go to these kind of concerts. And when they see me on stage, they, they may see a rock star or, or, or whatever, but they want to meet me because maybe, you know, they want to meet the guy who worked with Ronnie James Dio and, and share stories. But when they do, it's not a rock star they get it's it's just a regular guy and they start talking about stuff and they'll say things like yeah but you don't know what it feels like and I can look them right in the eye and go well actually as a matter of fact I do know what it feels like yeah. and just that alone can change you know the, their, the path that they go on the next day uh, I, I was talking to a homeless guy the other day same type of thing he thought he, he was the only one that had the same type of upbringing as I did and I got a chance to tell him how I feel. And he reaches in his pocket and hands me the bullet he saved to blow his brains out. Uh, there was a guy who saw me on television once. I was on a Christian television making fun of TV preachers. <laughs> and uh, so he goes, who's this? Why is Craig Goldie from Dio on a Christian channel? But I was making fun of how silly some of, some of these pre TV preachers come across to people and how goofy... You know, Christians can often act, and we need to stop doing that because it's just stupid. And it became the sixth most, most requested episode on that channel, but he watched it. He made a deal with God. He was going to blow his brains out. He goes, I'm going to go through the channels, and if I see something, give me a sign, and I'll put the gun down. And that's what it was. And he reached out to me, and him and I became dear friends, and he's actually a friend with my girlfriend, and he's just become a real dear friend. And one day there was a guy sent me a letter. Uh, I didn't know that he made a deal with God. Something told me to write him back, so I did. I didn't hear anything late, you know, for seven years. Uh, turns out he was facing, he couldn't face the next seven years of his, of his sentence. So he made a deal with God that if I answered his, his letter that he would, he, would, he would tough it out. So me and Ronnie are on our way to a meet and greet, and all of a sudden this guy and his wife comes up to me and he goes, Dude! I'm that guy. I'm like, huh? He's like, dude, I'm that guy. And Ronnie gives me a wink and says, okay, Goldie, do your thing. <laughs> and it turns out to be, I'm looking at his wife and tears are just dripping down off her cheeks. 
He goes, I'm that guy, man. I, and he proceeds to tell me that he made a deal with God that if I answered his letter, he would stick it out. And sure enough, almost to the day, it was seven years later, and there he was. So it can be as simple as that, you know, doing good music or, or, or helping other people. Um, but there, I believe there is a plan. I believe there is somebody. Uh, I, I do believe God knows what he's doing. We're all like chess pieces on a, on a, it's like him and the devil are playing chess, and we're all the chess pieces, you know, in a way. And some, some things just don't make sense, but some of the bad things actually are good. If we go by our feelings, feelings are not the, always the true indication of what's really going on around us. Sometimes things that feel bad really aren't no, so necessarily bad. It's just our expectations don't match up. If some things that feel good really aren't necessarily so good for us, it, uh, but they, everything has a reason, and I believe that you know there is a heaven. Therefore, the title track "Until Death Do We Meet Again." That was actually that came from uh, watching people getting married, saying "Until Death Do We Part." And I thought, well, I believe in an afterlife. Wouldn't it be more like "Until Death Do We Meet Again"? And that ooh. That sounds like a cool, dark title, and someday I'm going to use that. So here we are. Will you be taking Dream Child out on tour and into Europe? <laughs> well, that's the plan. I mean, so far, uh, there, we've been getting offers, and uh, we just got to get everybody's schedule in sync, and, uh, and off we go. Well, of course, you're also involved with another band, Resurrection Kings. Is that the end of them, or will it be more work from them as well? No, actually, we're... we're currently um, negotiating the contract for the second Resurrection Kings album.
the whole music scene has changed dramatically, as is the world since the 1980s. Are you glad you started out back in the 80s rather than now in a band in the 21st century? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because I've seen technology and where it's headed, and, 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 and that can also be a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, too many people nowadays are so driven by their desire to create something that was once only thought of as science fiction in a movie and make it real. And, they, and I even saw a documentary with uh, James Cameron and Steven Spielberg. They were saying, you know, sometimes we get so driven, you know, to create, you know, things uh, that later on become real and we often don't ever stop to think just because we can, should we? Yeah. And so um, I'm, what I mean by that is someday, you know, the, the people who are new school, their technology will break down. And if you can't, if you don't know how to fix it old school, you're screwed. So I'm glad to be a hybrid of the old school and the new school. There's nothing like you know, being in the same room in the in the, in, in the in the band and writing songs in the same room, and and the '80s was a, was a magical time because record companies, you know, gave their artists a chance to develop. You know, there was a little bit more of patience among the world. We had more patience with each other. We let each other kind of develop. We we we. Uh, we didn't have that immediate, um, such a need for immediate um, satisfaction. You know, we knew that, oh, I can't wait for that album to come out. And that was something special about that, you know, about having it in your hands physically and, and having to wait. You hear the song on the radio and you can't get it for another couple of weeks. And you keep calling your favorite music store. Is it in yet? Is it in yet? You know, but even though the Internet, really has changed things drastically and you're right it is a much different world than when I started um, the thing that I'm glad about is that the process that's involved in reaching people's hearts through your music and piercing their heart to the point where they're unable to contain themselves so that way they will feel willing to reach into their wallets and buy that music that process is still the same and the only way to learn that process was to be alive in that particular time. Because when you really think about it, you know, it was the Bob Dylans and the Roy Orbisons. If you think about a couple of guys standing around a bonfire, building the bonfire, you know, they were figuring out, oh, we need to make it more of a teepee looking thing with the wood so the fire is built better, you know. And then, oh, we need to put some newspaper in there or we need to put some leaves in there. And then there's the guys right behind them, you know, like the Beatles, uh, and they're kind of looking over there. They're watching them build the fire, and then behind the Beatles is the Aerosmiths, and they're you know kind of looking over and the the shoulders of the Beatles who are looking over the shoulders of Bob Dylan, and then there's the uh, Van Halen's looking over the shoulders of the Aerosmiths, saying, "Hey, what are they doing? Oh, I think they're doing this, you know." And then they got, then you got you know other bands from that point on from the '90s, and it's kind of like that game, you know, where you, there's about maybe 20 people sitting at a table and one person whispers a sentence into the ear of one person, then that person turns around and, and whispers that sentence to that person. By the time it gets all the way around the end of the, the other side of the table to, to where it originated, it, the sentence has changed completely. Well, that's kind of like what we have today. You know, we need to go back to basics. You know, the music of today is so different because the people of today are so different. We need to go back to basics where you can tell your children no. <laughs> yeah. You know, stop doing that. You know, I remember I was in a, in, in a, I was married and her kids, she just spoiled them rotten because she wanted her house to be the favorite house to go to because they didn't, she didn't want them to want to go to her ex-husband's house because he was more of the fun one. But he, all he did was sit around and drink, you know, and let them do whatever they wanted to do. So, you know, next thing I know, they're skateboarding in the house, you know, and it's like, no skateboarding in the house. Now, that sounds like a reasonable rule, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, yeah. 
So when she's in the shower the next day, there they are skateboarding in the house. And I'm like, um, no skateboarding in the house. And they, they would just throw a fit, you know. The, 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 she had to come out of the shower just with her towel on, dripping wet, going, what the heck is going on? Well, he's skateboarding in the house. There's no skateboarding in the house. She goes, well, I never said that. I said, what? And even though this sounds completely unrelated, it we're developing these children, these like spoiled, rotten, techno-wussies that are going to become our future. <laughs> yeah, scary. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's why I'm really glad to have started when I started because I, I work with men. I worked with men who worked hard. They did long hours. If you know Ronnie, uh, God bless him, man. When when he left Black Sabbath and started Rainbow, if if the truck showed up filled with gear and there was nobody there to unload it, that man would start schlepping gear because he wanted rehearsals to start on time. You know, I mean that man did so many things uh, that he was a man. You know, he wasn't some techno wussy who you know demands the optimum situation from the very beginning is not willing to to work towards it i mean that man built such an amazing legacy that that stands alone there's none other like it and that came from hard work and work ethics and integrity and and having convictions and staying with them you know because there was a lot of people he was surrounded by record capital record companies saying, oh, if you would only do this, you could be so much more popular. You'd sell so many records. If you only did this, and if you only did that, you know, and Ronnie was like, no, that's not me, you know. And But he he had an album out every year. He had a tour out every year. That man had a great career and an amazing legacy. He created a world where all were welcome, where their imagination was without boundaries, and love, honor, respect, caring, and giving. I mean, the way he would treat his fans, he had such love for his fans, treated them all like family and friends, because that's really was his family, was his, his fans. And I remember one time he gave me an envelope and an address and said, could you go please hand deliver this? And he knew I wouldn't ask any questions. It turned out to be a rent check to one of his fans that couldn't pay rent that month. Wow. <laughs> You know, there was a, he did a string of concerts where he, uh, there was people flocking to Los Angeles to become famous, and they ended up in prostitution, and some of them were men. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a doctor that went out on the streets and would, would rescue them, but he needed a shelter, she needed a shelter. So Ronnie did a string of concerts to build a shelter, and he built a complex. I mean, there was counselors that could help them get off drugs, counselors to help them for why they were on drugs in the first place. They could get their GED, they could get a college degree, a master's degree, a bachelor's degree. There was a 10-year reunion where the before picture was a guy who had pissed his pants because he was so drunk and didn't realize it, and now he's a four-star general. You're not, you know, technology's not going to do that. you got to get your, you got to pick up a shovel and dig. you got to get your hands dirty. you got to get down in the trenches. You know, to make that stuff happen. Got to be careful of what you say, what you do, everything. It's absolutely horrendous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, what you say, what you do. It is. It, is. <laughs> it really is horrendous. This is a difficult question. Which are your two favourite albums of all time? Wow. Uh, Burn and Rainbow Rising, I guess, if I had to limit it to two. Because that'd be like asking me, okay. Sep, which would which would you rather do, inhale or exhale? <laughs> I know, I know what you mean, man. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, but if I had to narrow it down, it'd be Burnt, Deep Purple Burn and Rainbow Rising. Can you tell me why we should buy until death do we meet again? I think um, for a couple of reasons. That's a good question. I'm hoping that because it's quality music and I gave it my all, and not one song is filler. I understand that people are tired of paying 15 to you know 12 to 15 US for a, an album and only getting two good songs. <laughs> Tell I me about it. <laughs> I, I understand that uh, the previews for iTunes can be misleading, just like uh, previews for movies can be misleading. And you go spend 12 to 24 bucks, you know, depending on who you go and what time of day you go, 
and you see the movie and it sucks. Uh, I understand about what we talked about earlier. You know, you bought the CD, you bought the vinyl. You know, you move from place to place throughout the years. Things go missing. You know, so you feel entitled to listen to that music on YouTube for free. You bought it twice. <laughs> you know, uh, I understand all that. But then there's a lot of people who sit around and go, oh, you know, these guys are doing ten different things at once. Can't they commit to one thing? Well, no. And the reason is because of you. Not you, Seth, personally, but because of the people who sit back and steal our music. Yeah. And that's the poor thing. You know, I mean, they think, you know, I understand about, you know, about, you know, like streaming, you know. But Netflix, you know, at one point it came out in the theater. And then it was on HBO and Showtime. And then it went into Redbox, you know, or something like that. And then it goes, and then it goes on to Netflix, you know. Our, our stuff goes straight to streaming. You know, when we when I was in the 80s, I didn't, you know, I, I got paid as a sideman. Um, the bands like Van Halen and ACDC and Aerosmith, those guys all had equal share. You know, they're, they're multimillionaires, you know. I'm not asking for people to make me a multimillionaire because nobody needs, you know, a, a golden toilet seat, you know. Um, but I'm tired of having to do 10 different things and struggling and, and barely making by, you know, because things are so out of balance. And now the bands are doing it. They're charging fans 250 bucks for nosebleed nose seats and $1,000 meet and greets. Unbelievable. We restore, yeah, we need to restore balance. We need to restore balance. But, but you know, it's like I get, like, flabbergasted with it because, obviously, I grew up in the 80s buying albums and stuff in the 80s. And, like, now... It's like, oh, there's so many different versions of an album and it has so many extra tracks if you pay this much and you pay and it's all wrong. It's like how yeah. how can you do that? It's great. Well that that's what I'm hoping to do with this band and this album Dream Jump, is try to re restore balance. Um, is I gave it my all. It, it's a very difficult proposition to get some of the best musicians in the world to give their best performances, their best ideas, only to have it stolen. You know, and then people tell me, hey, I'm, I'm following you on Spotify. You're great. You're like, well, thank you for the 0.00003% of a penny. Do you know what it is? I, I just detest Spotify and I will not listen to it. People say to me, oh, well, why don't you listen to these bands on Spotify? I was like, no, I won't. It's just a matter of principle, isn't it? It's, it's, you're, it they're stealing our music. I mean, so I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be one of the, you know, and a lot of the, a lot of the bands now, are so resentful that they don't even do their best on an album because they know it's going to get stolen, and that's wrong. It so is. what I want to do is I gave it my best. I gave it my all. If you steal from me, okay, you steal from me. But if you like the song, pay 99 cents for it. <laughs> you know, pay $1.29. You know, because it's just, that's the one thing I love about the Dio Disciples. At the end of the concert... I don't go stand by the merch table to try to sell t-shirts. I don't pay, I don't, we don't have paid meet and greets. In fact, one time they tried that and I, and there was a guy that, that was, that had gone to one of our other concerts and paid. And I said, wait a minute, did you just pay to get in here? He goes, yeah. And so I made the guy run in the meet and greet, give him his money back. You know, I mean, I hate paid meet and greets. I hate, you know, overcharged prices, tickets, you know. Uh, Ronnie James Dio, people. I don't think people really understood the message he was sending back in 1986 when they, he brought them an 18-foot fire-breathing dragon and lasers and explosions and that big metal spider and Dream Evil. He didn't hike up the ticket prices to, 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 um, to make up for the costs. For the same ticket price that you could go see Twisted Sister or Motley Crue, you know, or, or, or Poison, you know, was the same price you could go see a Dio concert for. But what you got at a Dio concert was some, was just, oh my God. You know, because that was his gift back to the fans. I don't think that fully got understood, you know, how much money he spent. Everybody thinks about how much money he made. And in a similar way, I get a chance to go out on the crowd after a Dio Disciples concert, and there are people are crying, you know, and they're because they love him and they miss him so much, and we get a chance to have a really good connection. 
uh, and treat fans the way they deserve to be treated. That that's that's gone now too. People just either sit by the merch table and sign an autograph, okay, they see you, or you know, a paid meet and greet, yeah, 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 picture, picture, buy. You know, all right, we'll go to a place. It's it's just so hot. It's like 150 degrees in the shade, and there's people standing out there before our, our sound checks just to get an autograph and a picture. And most of the guys will go back by, you know, they'll sign the autograph, take the picture, and off they go. I, on the other hand, will, will say, hey, come on inside where it's nice and cool. Get out of the heat and enjoy our sound check. That's the kind of thing Ronnie would do. Or if they were in, or if it's freezing cold and we just came out of a nice warm van and into a nice warm venue and signed autographs on our way in. Those people are still standing out there freezing. So I would bring them inside so they could be warm, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, treating them with respect and honor, because that's the true currency of life. Money has no soul. Money has no heart. But music does. That's a special gift from God to us, to one another, so we can talk to each other all over the globe. And so we become friends. That's what a, that's what a fan is. To Ronnie, a fan was one of his friends, and every one of his friends was his family. So we are all family. We're all in this together. You know, so that plays a huge part in, in trying to restore the balance is how the fans are treated, the kind, the quality of music and how much you put into it, you know, and you give it your all. And I mean, give it your all. So when I come back from a Dio Disciples tour, I'm exhausted because every single note on that stage means the world to me because of the, because that music played a big part of my life too Ronnie would get letters from guys thanking him for the courage because of the music that he wrote gave these guys who are in the military going to face the unimaginable on the front line and they're thanking him for the, for the music that he wrote that gave them the courage to face the unimaginable you know that kind of thing where, where you're, you, it's a band creating music that means something to the fans and so when the fans meet the band it's a special connection it's a community it's a family we need to restore that again yeah and if we can yeah. restore that again you know i don't think people are going to have trouble paying 99 cents for a dollar for a song they like you know and because yeah, i'm getting older too buddy and i'm tired of just having to, to kill myself you know just to stay alive it's not right
festival or small intimate gig? Ooh, good question. That's another would you rather inhale or exhale. <laughs> um, I guess intimate. Final or digital? Uh, God, another one, isn't it? Uh, digital. Really? I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm surprised, Mr. Goldie. I'm disappointed. Well, I don't have it. Well, can I say until I get a turntable? <laughs> Let you off. Let you off. Because I would love to get a turntable and hear that sound again. Fair enough. That crackle okay. before the music starts. Exactly. Oh yeah. Okay. So first, how about how about until until I get a turntable digital? Brilliant. Okay. Heaven or hell? <laughs> Heaven. 80s metal or today's metal? Uh, 80s metal, hopefully until the Dream Child album comes out. <laughs> Alright, final one. You probably knew this was going to come. Donald Trump or Miss Piggy? <laughs> yeah, they're both just as obnoxious as one another. Um, Donald Trump, he's a jackass. But he does, at least he's not owned by anybody. So that way when he walks into office, he's not automatically having to operate under somebody else's agenda other than his own. And at first, I think he sold, I think he gave us a bad sale job. But deep down inside, I think he really does want to try to do something good. And I think a lot of it is that same thing with poor Barack Obama. You know, he walked into a good old boy, you know, situation. And they were not going to let a black president solve all the problems that all the white idiots made. So they fought him tooth and nail. I love what um, Chris Rock, he said, George Bush screwed up so bad that a white president can't even get elected. <laughs> you know? and, and nowadays, you know, he's such a jackass, you know, but he's, but he's calling people on their shit. You know, he's saying, hey, look, you made a bad deal here. You know, and so the press is trying to make him sound like he's shutting down all these good programs. No, what he's trying to do is reorganize good programs so that they are good programs and not just t just draining our economy because we're helping all these other people and we're not doing a damn thing for ourselves. Coming from England, I'm a bit of a Trump fan. When, when you watch him, he's very, I don't know, he's charismatic, isn't he? He's very, yeah. I mean, I voted for him. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm hoping that someday, you know, he'll, he'll get a chance to really show people what he what he what he's all about because mm. I really think deep down inside he really loves his country oh, yeah. and he wants to make a change and he wants to get rid of the bullshit and it's he's got 200 over 200 years of bullshit to clean up <laughs> in four years you know so God bless him. hi this is Craig Goldie you know me best from Dio and Dio disciples and now dream child and you're listening to the metal gods meltdown it's a choice to find the silence But we never see eye to eye I wonder why There's a notion that lies between us Growing wider with every moment And no one will go ahead 